Welcome back. You're listening to episode 95 of Design Today. I'm your host, Dylan Winspear, and my mission is to help you improve your UX game from beginning to end. Whether you're fresh out of school or five years in, my goal is to help you figure out the next steps to excel in your career. Today's episode features a new friend of mine, Laura Silva. And part of what makes today's episode a little bit more unique is that this episode was recorded live in front of a virtual audience a couple months back. This unique opportunity allowed us to field some questions that were submitted and do a fun little Q&A session at the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to take a moment and pause with where we are at. Episode 95. We are five episodes away from hitting one of the biggest milestones that I never set out to even hit. Episode 100 will launch on December 1st, and I wanted to sneak and tell you that I am planning something big. I wanna have some sort of big celebration for all those who've been a part of this journey, uh, and for you, the listeners who have tuned in, uh, and even for a few of you who have been here from the beginning, almost two and a half years ago. Thank you so much. Your support means the world to me. Uh, everything that you do from you know the simple things like you know liking an episode or commenting on an episode, sharing it, rating it, reviewing it, it warms my heart and it means a lot. Now to my guest, Laura is the VP of Accessibility at Bank of America. And today she's gonna share so many great thoughts and insights on accessibility and how you can design a better world for people who are just flat out often forgotten. Laura is also a huge advocate for diversity and human rights. Her Instagram account is a great follow, and she is someone who I'm proud to say that I'm associated with. So without further ado, let's get into this episode of Design Today. And a massive, massive thank you to Laura for joining us on this episode. Hello, 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 hello. What's going on, Laura? So what people need to know before we get into this episode um, is that you and I have actually been talking now for a couple months. Uh, this has been a long time coming for both of us. So kind of how the story worked out is um, I heard Laura's name or saw Laura's name the first time uh, right around uh, the George Floyd protests. And she had posted a couple of things on LinkedIn, one of the many things that she's had that's gone viral over the last few months. And after reading some of her comments, I was like, this is a person who I absolutely need to talk with. And she was inundated with messages at that time. And fortunately, she somehow found mine in her inbox and got back to me. And you know, we've, we've exchanged a handful of messages. She agreed to do a podcast recording with me. We were going to do that about, what was it, a month or so ago? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then long story short, Dave and Chantel approached and said, Hey, can we turn this into a product type event? And, you know, absolutely. Laura was kind enough to do that. And, and here we are today. Um, so before we get into everything, Laura, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself for the people who uh, have not become familiar with you yet. And I want you to share a little bit about, uh, about your, your background and how you became passionate about accessibility. Yes. All right. So hello, everyone. Um, my name is Laura Silva. I am originally from uh, Bogota, Colombia, uh, but I've been in the United States for a long, long time. I call this country my home. Uh, I got into design uh, by way of my university. I am a graduate from the Savannah College of Art and Design, 
and I graduated with a, a bachelor in writing. So I'm, I'm actually a writer, like for my diploma, it says driving. Uh, but that's the beauty of design, right? You don't really need to go to school to be a designer. I think we are all designers in our own little ways all the time. Um, I currently work for Bank of America. I am their vice president of Accessibility UX Design Lead, a very long title. And pretty much what I do is I, um, you know, work with different teams to make sure that their designs and their approach to design is accessible for people that have, you know, cognitive, uh, hearing, mobility, disabilities, or, um, you know, people who might not have an access in some way. And this is something that I got into it uh, a couple of years back. And my, my dad became um, quadriplegic. Uh, and that's how I realized that this was a space in and of itself. Um, I, I, I think we are aware, you know, that they have, that there are people that have limit, limitations. Um, but I think designers are not aware how we sometimes are the cause of the, of that limitation. And so mm -hmm. what I have, you know, dedicated my career so far is to become a bridge, uh, in technology and people and have people, you know, actually embrace the technology and have the technology adapt to the people rather than the people adapting to it. And that's kind of the work that I do at the bank, and and I did it back at Amazon uh, in my in the in the search team uh, right out of college, and um, now I'm here, and it's been you know a, a, quite an experience going from uh, you know a shopping site right like Amazon yeah. to a bank, yeah. and you know going from just focusing on on Amazon search to now focusing on the entirety of, of customer experience uh, of the bank. So yeah. it's, been, it's been growth, you know, for sure. So when did your dad become a paraplegic? In all the conversations that we had, I did not know that. Yeah, uh, uh, 2017, 16. Okay. And so you were already involved in the accessibility world at that point, right? No, no, no. I was in the UX world. Okay. Yeah, I was in the world war at that point. And then when he became quadriplegic, you know, I, you know, my brother and I had to start learning about what that meant and yeah. what his limitations were. And, you know, flew home, Florida, where my parents live, yep. um, and have to buy a different special bed and, and change the bathroom and, and move things out of the way and take out the carpet for his wheelchair. So, we had to actually start learning about the experience. Um, and, and, and then I started realizing that it's more than just the extreme, the extreme right? We think about just blind people, people quadriplegic or people in wheelchairs. And that's all that we realized that accessibility is. But then I realized that accessibility is, is just design, just good design, like cup caching. Uh, for example, for me, I, I still use subtitles for every single thing that I watch. Um, not just because English is not my first language, but because they're just accents that I don't understand. Or sometimes I just want to eat chips on the couch and the sound doesn't let me hear, you know, what I'm doing. So 
that's that's an accessibility guidelines is is subtitles, but I use it, and so many other people use it to learn different languages. That's how I learned English, for example, using a caption. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I start realizing that accessibility was more than just um, ADA guidelines or the or or you know what we think about uh, color contrast. Uh, is is more than that. It's, it's just understanding the differences and the intersectionality of our customers and and knowing that not everybody is at the same level, you know, and not everybody understands tech the same way. Not everybody understands the patterns the same way. Um, And that's that's how I got in it, uh, pretty much. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, But again, part of the story that I was not familiar with, so I, I thank you for sharing that. How did you find yourself in a role with Bank of America. I mean, Bank of America is, is a company that everyone's going to recognize. Um, but how did you find yourself in a VP position with them so quickly and early in your career? Um, hard work. <laughs> there's, there's nothing luck about this. There's absolutely not a shed of luck. You just work, you know. Um, I met uh, my senior manager at a conference called Afrotech, which is a conference for black people in tech that has happened already three times in in San Francisco and last year was in Oakland and at that time I was working for Bank of oh no I was working for Amazon at that time and I approached Bank of America um, their booth and I started talking to them and I ended up talking to the person by chance not look I call it chance by chance mm-hmm. talking to, to who is now my senior manager and and a black man that, you know, understands that things are not always designed for everybody just by the nature of, of history in and of itself. Um, I didn't have to explain to him um, why making things accessible for people was a necessity. Uh, you know, just him being in his position understands it. And also, uh, but being a, a black man, he he feels it. So that's, that's kind of how I got it. And then they approached me and said, well, do you want to work in this space? And I said, okay, well, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we, you and I have been preparing for this conversation, we talked a lot about how, uh, well, actually, this was something that came up in our very first conversation. You said and shared with me that you feel like your success in this industry in such a short period of time is because of your unique characteristics. Uh, For sure. Do you mind jumping into that a little bit and, and sharing what, what that actually means? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of um, people use um, our differences um, with the phrase in spite, right? In spite of. Mm-hmm. And I see it um, as because of. That's how I approach my life. Like, I wouldn't be in accessibility. Uh, if it wasn't because I am a person who understands that not everybody speaks English. Um, I wouldn't be in in design, in the diversity and inclusion aspect of design, if it wasn't because I am a Black woman, if it wasn't because I am a dreamer, I'm a DACA recipient. Um, uh, if it wasn't because, I wouldn't be in this space, not in spite of, it's because of. And I think um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my roots. I'm proud of all the work that I've done to get to this place. I'm proud of the fact that I can now, you know, 
that there is someone out there that can that can point to me and say, hey, there's a VP in a bank that has an accent, you know, or there's a VP in a bank that use her natural hair and wears hoops. Uh, there's a VP in a bank that has piercings and tattoos and she's Colombian and, you know, and she has the same color skin as I do. Um, that's, that's why I'm doing this because I don't want, I don't want the next generation to look at, at, at this space of design and, and see it as a just white and male. Yeah. I want them to see who they are and understand that it's because of who they are, that they belong in this space, that this space was maybe not made for them, but it's changing and it's shifting to include them. And whatever space they don't feel welcome, they can then just go and do their own space. Uh, that's that's kind of why I want people to realize that it's, it's because of who I am, that I am in this place that I am. Now. Do you feel like you've always had that mindset? I mean, because for, for a lot of people that are listening that are going to find themselves, you know, on the, the fringe, maybe they're a minority in some aspect or another. I think it is going to become really natural to say like, no, I've got an uphill battle. I've got to accomplish these things because of, but you've taken this attitude of in spite of, or I'm sorry, I flipped that around. People are going to think that in spite of, I've got this uphill battle and you flipped that around and said, what's well, because of. Have you always had that that mindset, or how can someone develop that mindset? Um, I've I've known that I'm, I grew up in in Bogota. Okay, so Bogota, Colombia. Bogota is the capital of Colombia, and Bogota. Um, if anybody has ever been, Bogota is like Utah. Okay, Bogota is like <laughs> Wisconsin. Bogota is like Seattle. Bogota is like middle of America, okay? So it's cold and in white. And 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 I I'm not that. So mm-hmm. I grew up knowing that um very clearly knowing and 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 that I was different than than the rest. Um my my dad is black. Uh, my mom is white uh, and they met in the middle of Colombia where there is a lot of, you know, mixed uh people but then they moved to the capital. And 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 besides my dad, I only saw people that look like me once a year when I went to vacation to see my grandma. Mm-hmm. So I was very aware of the fact that I was that I looked different. I I went to a three thousand girls school and I was one of three black girls in that whole school. Um, so it's very hard not to notice that your skin is different or that your hair is different. Um, and and they made sure that I knew that I was different too. Um, Racism and colorism is not just an American concept. It's a universal concept. So they make sure that that you know that you're different. Um, And because of that, I think I had to develop a thick skin from, you know, very early age. And and I think that's where it came from. Uh, When I got to the United States, I knew that I was an immigrant. And I knew that we were here in asylum, seeking asylum. So I knew that I didn't have the privilege of someone who was American. Um, so from the beginning, I already understood that there were things that were going to be different. And I was 12 years old. Um, I didn't speak English. So I was like, okay, that's another difference that I know I have. Uh, so it just understanding the reality of, of my 
my life that gave me kind of like the the thick skin the thick skin to to just go about it um uh, i don't know how someone can develop this um this attitude of of like you know go getter i uh, i think that comes out of hustling and surviving uh i, I don't think they come to a point that unless you do these things there's no other way like unless i learn english I wasn't gonna go to college unless I went into tech. I wasn't gonna find unless I, you know. So it comes out of survival and and need. Um, survive, you know. That that's kind of the the way that I can. It's it's like if somebody ever tried to learn Spanish, right? Uh, just out of fun, it might take them maybe like a year or two, right? Fly to Colombia tomorrow, and and live there you pick it up in two weeks because you have to, it's survival. So I think that's, that's kind of like the attitude that I have. Well, I would like to fly to Columbia tomorrow. I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. Uh, but one day when that opportunity does present itself, I would like to take that opportunity. And the same thing with you, right? We talked about having you come out here to Utah. Uh, that's something that we're going to have to experience at some point in the future. Um, I will. But one of the things that you said that, it kind of reminded me of uh, Carol Dweck's growth mindset, right? If you have uh, the, the mindset that you can learn, you can grow, you can adapt, uh, as opposed to you're stuck with this fixed set of skills that have been given to you or applied to you or, you know, the box that you've been placed in, um, those, the mindset of a growth mindset will allow you to then see these in a different light, I think is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, but but also, you know, it's um it also depends on the circumstances because um there's a lot of people who have who you know cannot see the their way out. You know, it's not just enough with just believing. Um opportunities also have to be available for people to 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 have that growth, mm -hmm. right? That that's why there's so many people in poverty can that so many, so many families in poverty that cannot break the cycle. Sure. Uh, the opportunities are not available because their schools don't get funded, because their internships all are unpaid and they cannot afford to have an unpaid internship because they're because they don't have the technology at home to to apply for whatever because they don't have a library in their communities that they can use a free computer. Um, it's all circumstantial. Um, I was uh, my my dad make sure that we were in a space in South Florida when we landed here that will allow me to have a, an education that was uh, good enough yeah. and allow me for me to, you know, go to the library and go rent out books and videos for free uh, with a library card. And, you know, we were put in a situation when we landed here where I was able to, you know, kind of like pull myself by my own bootstraps, right? But also we, we forget that a lot of people don't have boots. And it's very important that we distinguish that. The opportunities are not equal and they're not up there for grabbing. Opportunities are, are precisely put in places for certain people to obtain. Um, and it's unless we diversify the opportunities that, that then people can match their mindset with the actual action. Well, and I love how you phrase that, you know, 
one of the words that you used there multiple times was was opportunities. And for people who are listening to this going like, I, I thought we were gonna be talking about accessibility. One of the things that I love that you called out last time you and I chatted is that who you are and how you approach accessibility is tied so closely to each other. And I think one of those tying bonds is opportunities, right? You are taking advantage of the opportunities that you've, that you've been given, and you're also working to present more opportunities for yourself. In the yeah. same time, those who experience uh, different disabilities and whatever the sense that may be, they lack some of those opportunities. And so someone who stands in to champion accessibility, you're providing those opportunities for people who've not been able to get it. Is that, yeah. is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, like I told you, there's, there is no way for me to differentiate like who I am to what I'm doing. It's, mm -hmm. it's impossible. Like I couldn't just, you know, be a carpenter. Like it, it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't match, you know, it doesn't match. I said it because my grandpa was one. Uh, it okay. doesn't match who I who I am. I I, I have to do something that that can actually push me to every day. It, it's hard waking up every day to go to work. Mm. It's hard to wake up when you don't have something that actually push you to do so. You know, I, I I'm not married. I don't have kids, so I don't have that you know that push of like you know for my kid or stuff. Um, so to me, everything that I do is for myself. And I, and I realized that, um, that was too short. That was, that was too little for who I, who I am and, and who I was when I first realized that I could do something, not just for myself, but for others. And that's when accessibility came. It just, um, you, you by you looking at your designs and realizing, okay, we need to uh, provide contextual alt text. We need to look at the color contrast. We need to understand how a screen reader will behave with its experience. You are giving someone the opportunity to be independent, mm -hmm. to open up their computers and look at their browsing and go into their own um, Bank of America account and look it up for themselves, you know, and, and call and, and set up a business or set up a savings account. So ask for a loan or buy a house or you know, set up um, a student loan consign for their kid. Hopefully. <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, you get that, you give people that opportunity. Uh, it becomes more than just good design or, or, or nice design. Nice design is empty. Who cares about beautiful design? If half of the population can use it, you have yeah. to look at your, you have to look at your experience for more than just you. You're not designing or you, you're designing for everybody else, and everybody else wear glasses, have arthritis, doesn't speak English, reads at a sixth level uh, English. That's mm -hmm. half of the population. Um, that's that's just that's just the reality of, of where we are and how we are. And design design cannot be empty. Yeah. Uh, otherwise. Why then it's not user experience, then you just design, yeah, yeah. Can, can you share a little bit more about uh what a day in the life looks like as a VP of accessibility? What is the team dynamics? Who do you work with? Uh, and how do you guys actually get into the nuts and bolts of accessibility on a day to day basis? Yeah, so <clears throat> my team is um small, <laughs> is there a small? Uh, 
Uh, I'm there. I'm the only UX lead in that team. Um, the majority of my team are ABA analysts, meaning they're people that get their design from their experience, the, the wireframes from a designer, and they're going in and, and look at it and putting guidelines for, for accessibility, for ADA guidelines based on WCAG 2.1 guidelines, the latest one. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I go a step above and I work with the UX leads, so the people that create the components, the people that create the systems, and I help systematize the accessibility of those components that way um, there's less work for designers and less work for my team kind of like a shift left approach right yep. and you know part of that is um you know create training for designers create documentation 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 documentations uh and and um and just meetings there's a lot of meetings i mean a lot of meetings every single day just looking at all right let's Let's look at all the buttons and what all the buttons have in common and let's make sure that the color contrast, the alt text, the experience, the swiping, yeah. the, all of that is, is systematized so that, so that any designer can just take it and know that it has some accessibility uh, built. And, you know, we work with developers and we work with a QA team um, and, and it's pretty much just like, I couldn't do my work without the, the analyst and I'm trying to make the, the analyst work easier. Um, and that's, that's kind of how it works. Um, yeah. Very, very women, majority women. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty awesome. That's cool. Uh, because uh, who run the world? <laughs> I'm not going to fight you on that one. Um, <laughs> You know, I like that you say you approach the accessibility in, in the components, right? You get there at the top levels before everything gets distributed. Are there things that you have seen uh, in your years of experience that designers are mistakes designers are often making that lead to accessibility issues in that componentry? Uh, do, I think the the mistakes come from lack of awareness. So, for example, there's a lot of Things do not behave behave the same way when you're using a screen reader on your phone mm-hmm. uh, because screen reader is based on tab. So it's, it reads the screen um, to the user based on what, you know, kind of like look at it like a ruler in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a textbook. So you start, that's how it reads. Yeah. Um, and for example, swiping, this, this notion of swiping doesn't behave that way with a screen reader. So if your whole experience is based on someone swiping, then your whole experience is not going to work with someone who's using a screen reader. And someone who is in a screen reader is not someone who is just blind. It could be someone who um, is, 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 uh, has some color, color contrast issue. Or someone like my dad who can see but cannot use his hands. So uh, they see it that is there, but they cannot use it because the experience has not been coded so that the swiping now, uh, you know, can be used instead of, you know, once it's been turned to a screen reader, it, it behaves like a button. Mm-hmm. But that's a conscious decision that a developer, that a designer has to tell the, the developer. So I think the mistakes come less it comes from just lack of awareness of how of, of how other people live their lives um 
it, it, I think they come from just a little bit of, of privilege, right? Um, the ones we get off our high horse, we start realizing that not everybody has the same experiences that we do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's kind of like, you know, what I see the most. But, yeah. you know, designers understand what color contrast is. Um, UX writers understand that things need to be contextual, needs to make sense. Um, now let's put it all together. So like, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, what's funny is you actually brought this to mind as you're sharing that uh, I jump on dribble, you know, at least once or twice a week. And I start looking at really pretty mocks, but that's all they are is they're really pretty mocks. And I look at these and I go like, well, that's really great. But what are the functionality here? Or that's not going to work because of this, or that's not going to work because of this. And now as you're talking through this, I'm going like, oh, that just brings a whole other level of, uh, of, of something to think through is like, you look at those really pretty dribble mocks and there's probably not a whole lot of consideration for accessibility in those, right? For sure. For sure. Have, you, have you looked at those mocks and, and thought the same thing to yourself? Yeah, sometimes, you know, I, I, go, on, I go on dribble, I go on Behance and yep. I go on LinkedIn because a lot of designers post their yep. stuff on LinkedIn. And, and a lot of the stuff, you know, I remember one, it was like a, a, some, some guy posted these series of buttons. Uh-huh. Why button just follow me around? Uh, this this thing of buttons, and they were like, which one you guys like the most? And they were just like, there was no stroke, there was just uh, there was no clear call to action. There was just a bunch of loud like that's a bug, that will be that's not. So I was like, I, I wrote like none because neither are accessible. And they came back to me with like torches. They were like, what do you mean? I'm like, dude. Did you check the color contrast? No, because I did. And that thing doesn't even pass. Doesn't pass. It doesn't even pass. So that right, I don't care if, like, that's what I said. I don't care if your thing is pretty. Pretty design, who cares about pretty design? Yep. Yep, yep. Right now, who cares about pretty design? I yep. want this thing to work. Um, and to work for as many people. It's impossible to make everything work for everyone. Yep. I understand that. Our team understands that. Um, but if there's something that we know, like color contrast or stroke for better readability, um, let's, let's just put it in practice. Uh, yep. You know, who cares if your thing is pretty? No, yeah. Nobody has pretty. Well, and one of the things that we talk about pretty often, and it's almost become buzzwordy at this point, is the idea that, you know, designers, product managers, they need to have empathy for their end user, right? Yeah. How do you or what tips do you have for designers, product managers to begin to deploy empathy for maybe an accessibility challenge that they don't have? What would you recommend that they do? I think the first part would be to, if they're able in their research team, um, to create guidelines for the researchers to, um, you know, engage with people with disabilities because we need data um data is, imp is important and we need anecdotal data when it comes to accessibility we need someone to tell you man i i have to tap 200 times to add something to my car mm -hmm. um and that's a strong quote right there you know like that i think that will be the, the first step and i know that researchers for some reason are scarce they're like unicorns 
in teams. So I know not a lot of people have researchers in their team, but we all have YouTube and we all can turn uh, on YouTube and, 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 and type, how does the screen reader work? Or what type of color, uh, of, uh, color, con- color contrast each of the people have? Yep. Uh, what people, why do people use club caption? Um, we can just Google how to make your designs accessible. And I promise you, Medium has a lot of resources that you can read on easy checklists for designers to make it accessible to a way. I know a lot of people don't have what Bank of America has, right? Like a team dedicated for accessibility. And a lot of, you know, there's a, a lot of small design firms, but you can Google guidelines. So back yeah. there, Medium is inundated with resources. And on YouTube, you can actually see how people interact with their phones and how people interact with the different assistive technology methods um, to to actually be in this space. So just just have a little bit of be a little bit inquisitive, right? Have yeah. a little bit of of like how will this work? Like how who else will use this? And and also just look around you and, and, you know, try to go outside of your own little bubble and look around you and understand what things in the city has been created for other people. And that might give you a little cue on your own designs, like ramps. Ramps were brought in because uh, of wheelchair accessibility or the buttons, you know, so you don't have to open the door right now. Everybody's using them, right? Everybody's pushing mm-hmm. their buttons uh, so they don't have to touch doors. Um, things, things like that start giving you a clue that the world not just behaves the same, the, the way that, that you're experiencing. Way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and it, it's interesting because, and this is kind of a shout out to a couple of people who I, I work with and a couple of friends. Um, but there are a lot of people who are working in the digital space, right? And in the digital space, there are products out there and they're becoming more abundant for people who, uh, want to throw a plugin on their Chrome browser and experience a website uh, with different uh, color blindnesses. You know, jump on and, and experience your website, experience your product with one of these plugins on and see how that contrast works out for you. Uh, you know, your, your phone has it. Your iPhone or your Android yeah. has built-in voice voice uh, over S- screen reader. And you can just turn yep. it on yep. and start listening to how people behave and how people interact with your product all the time and you you will want to get a headache because it's different yep. and it's fast and 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 you will be overwhelmed but that's part of the experience now yeah. you know okay the the, the voice screen the, the screen reader in and of itself is intense and now if i don't you know give uh contextual all text um, now it's just not not only going to be intense, but it's also going to be used useless mm-hmm. uh, because then the image only says image. Who cares about the image only says image? Tell me what the image is showing. That's when contextual alt text come into place. Yeah. Uh, so like, it's, it's in there. This is, I mean, I'm, I'm young. I didn't create accessibility or, you know, I, I just kind of like said, all right, let's, let's put on my thinking cast and let's learn about this space. And I'm constantly learning because the guidelines keep on changing and 2.2 is about to come in November and there's more guidelines that you have to be aware and you're not going to do 100% right and, and some things are not going to be able to be done based on 
you know, business practicals or, or, or just not enough money to put it in place, but at least you know, at yep. least you know. Yep. I want to jump into one more question that I have for you, and then we're going to jump into some of the uh, the questions that have come in as, as you and I have chatted. Uh, the last question I was going to ask you is, if you find yourself working for a company that hasn't put emphasis on accessibility, where do we begin? You know, especially when products are already so large and, and, and so robust or filled out, where do you begin in order to make accessibility an emphasis? Or, or maybe even... How do you begin to get your executive staff or your stakeholders to emphasize accessibility in product? Where do we start? Yeah, so that is similar to what I experienced when I was at, uh, at Amazon. Uh, in Amazon Search, we were doing a um, redesigning of our rendering platforms. So it was a perfect time for us to look at every single component. And right at the time was when my, my, my dad had that accident. So then I asked the question, I was like, how are we handling accessibility? And we didn't have those guidelines in, in place. So I, I know exactly what you mean. So mm-hmm. I, um, I just put in some data. That's the easiest way for people to realize the scope of this space is by research how many people in the United States have some type of visual disability. Um, what is the, the, the money around this space? Uh, the buying capability around accessibility, um, and and it depends on what type of you know entity you 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 work in. Uh, mm-hmm. But I could say you know if if, to, if today based on this conversation, any designer is like, all right, I am very aware of accessibility and I want to do better. Um, I start from today. Today on, you start looking at your colors and you start checking color contrast analyzing on Google, and you start looking at the color today. And then, you know, or if you're a designer, um, start learning about area, um, area, and you start, you know, realizing how does that work with the, with React, with Native or React or whatever HTML or whatever it is that you use and how you put that into place. Um, it's, It's hard, it's a hard space because you have to do what I kind of like what I do, go from a component base, go from a system way. And that means there's a lot of money behind it. And there's yeah. a lot of, of, of bodies behind that work, but you can just start on your own space. You can just start by, by, by writing your, your, um, red, li- your red lines. You can let the developer know, Hey, I want these buttons to sound this way. Or I want this image to say this. Um, and the way the developers can just input the alt text, um, you know, you can start small and, and, and by starting small, you build in that, that space that is more accessible. And if you yeah. as a designer are committed to it, the developer is committed to it, the researcher is committed to it, um, then it, it's, it's much easier to change things uh, when it's kind of like a group effort than uh, one person. I, yeah. I can't fight to that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I like what you said also previously in, the, in this episode where we talked about starting at the componentry level too, right? If you can fix it there, then it will slowly start to get dispersed throughout uh, the business as well. 100%. Yeah. If you can, if you have, if you're lucky enough to be in the system team uh, and you can say, hey guys, we're going to from now on, let's look at all our buttons, let's look at all our links, let's look at all our accordions, let's look at um, X, Y, and Z. Uh, and let's create some guidelines. Yeah. Then just you know, 
will trickle down. The only the only where the only place where trickle down actually works is not economics. It's in design. You can actually <laughs> trickle down the information to your design if you start from from a, from the top. Yep. And then now any button the designer would use has you know the, the rest of the team would use have the accessibility to do it. Yep. I keep saying button just because we just had a needed on buttons and that's why. I keep <laughs> that's but it works for everything. <laughs> everything goes screening your your headers. Uh, just imagine every single component being read out loud. So how would you want it to be read if you were the person that needed some type of assistance? Mm -hmm. Because you don't know. My dad, prior to November uh, 23rd, he was a healthy, vibrant guy. And then on the 24th, he wasn't. Um, if I lose my vision tomorrow, I have to rely on the screen reader. So I want to make sure that there is someone out there like me who knows that that might also happen and, and put in the guidelines for the future me, for the older me, for the person like my brother who has arthritis, for someone who loses their glasses tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I have contact. If I don't, if I can find my contact, I turn on the screen reader so I can know what time is it. So it, it is just understand that you're designing for a, for a space that is just more, it's just nicer to be in. Yeah. Just design the future that you want to live in. Yep, absolutely. Well, cool. I appreciate you sharing that. I want to jump into some of these questions. There's, oops, dropping my pencil here. There's a handful of questions that have come in uh, as you and I have been talking. So I want to go back and, and pull for a couple of them with the remaining 10, 15 minutes we've got here. Um, so one of the questions that came in here, are there processes for accessibility that you've put into place before something gets released that you could share? I mean, you've talked a little bit about, you know, getting into the components. You've talked about it with that, but is there a checklist that you go through before something gets released? Uh, once you put the, the, the guidelines uh, in the design, of course, they get coded. Mm -hmm. And it's important that you get them, um, get them QA with assistive technology. So I, I, that would be the, the, the best part of the process would be, it's not just enough for you to design it. You have to test it with the technology that you're going to use. Um, Do so you have a... Do you have a checklist of what you test for? Like we're looking for this, 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 and this. Yes, <laughs> we we have a very long test script uh, for for the QA team to look at. But it's more of like you know, does the color contrast pass the ratio? Uh, is there contextual text? Uh, can someone you know is the legend read as a whole sentence? Um, can this be experienced in job? in um in voiceover in you know so it's that makes sense we look at the old assistive technology and then we go down the list but there's definitely a list i'll you know i gladly share it with the team um not of course the bank of america checklist but i'll i'll share with the with the team some of the resources that i found online uh for people that can use their own checklist uh you know after they've input um activity guidelines so yeah Somebody else can check it out. That's a great idea. When this, when I'll end up posting this episode later on, so for anyone who wants to go listen to it afterwards, they can get that, and, and I'll include those links that you want to share in the show notes of that episode. 
Um, another question that came in, I love this one. This is, came in from Natalie. She asked, uh, and this was when you and I were talking about uh, what the, the makeup of your team looks like. She asked, do you know how it happened that so many of your coworkers are women? We're just badasses. No, <laughs> but uh, in, I honestly do not know. I just, I, well, no, yes, I do know. Intentionally by my manager to hire women. That's how you get women in your team. Yep. Because you hire them. So it's just an intentional decision to say we want women in this thing. The fact that there's more women, I think he just like being around women, smart women. Who doesn't? But I, I don't know how we got to be more women, but is diversity that diversity and inclusion is an intentional act. An intentional uh, decision there. Intentional decision. So yeah, yeah. it's just make sure that there were more women there were women in this team yeah that's awesome um there's another, question. <laughs> <laughs> there's another question that came in about what websites do you recommend for color testing i don't know if you know any off the top of your head but again we can include color, those in show notes color contrast analyzer just put that on google color contrast analyzer and the first link will be the one that you can output and it will show you and that's the one that i like the most because you can put your a front color so you know the text color against the background color and it will show you it's an ada it's an ada compliant based on double a or triple a or is um the guidelines are different based on text and objects so the color the border of a link will be had different guidelines that the color of a text uh the, the contrast color between the background mm -hmm. uh so uh, that that site color uh Color contract analyzer will show you all that and it will just clearly give you path or not pass on that one. So that's the one I like the most. Yeah, cool. Um, I'm pulling up. There's a couple that popped up in the chat and a couple that popped up in the QA. So uh, I'm jumping over to the QA now. Uh, Brooke says, obviously, there's so much to do with design in terms of accessibility, but in the interest of time, are you able to share your top three best practices that designers should keep top of mind? Color, uh, do not rely on color, just on color. Um, know that a lot, a lot of people cannot see color. So what all the indications of interaction can you put for a person to understand that there is interaction happening? Um, give guidelines for images. Otherwise, someone with a screen reader will only hear image. So if your image is part of your experience, give um, guidelines for the developers mm -hmm. to give contextual alt text for that image. Um, and a, I don't know, I think that was the third one. A, I don't know if you're going down my list of read a use discriminator in your phone so that you understand how people uh, interact with it. So yeah. turn, on, turn, on, turn it on and tap, 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 and, and, and learn and hear how someone interacts with it um and also maybe google what awesome are the type of accessibility um uh, you know disabilities that people have um what what is cognitive disabilities what is mobility disabilities what is visual what is auditory uh what is temporary momentary permanent like learn all those part as that's just as important as kearney in yeah in, that's just as much uh as understanding you know you know, 
what is the best experience or whatever. Yep. You have to learn that part. These are great questions, by the way. And I love that there's still a couple more coming in. Uh, like I said, super good questions. Uh, Doug asked, have you created a persona or personas that exhibited accessibility characteristics? Yes. So our, our team do have a, a persona that has one or more um, of the disabilities in the list. So we have personas that are colorblind, uh, deaf, mute, have a hearing. We have personas that have anxiety. We have personas mm -hmm. that have uh, dyslexia. We have personas that suffer from seizures if the images flash a really bright color really, really fast. Um, it's things like that for videos. We have personas uh, for that. Um, and that's part of, you know, go and learn, go and learn the guidelines. Uh, uh, and that way you can create those personas yourself. Cool. I like that. Um, I think I'm missing one. Okay, I had to scroll back up, but I found it. Chantel asked, is there a difference in designing for web versus designing for native mobile? Uh, there are differences in guidelines because one experience uh, uses a mouse or a keyboard and the other one is solely on touch. So there are some guidelines, like swiping doesn't exist on, on web as in doesn't mobile. So that, you know, just like designing for web and designing for mobile is different, mm -hmm. just regular. There are some different guidelines for, for those, but color contrast is pretty much the same. Uh, alt text is pretty much the same. Um, if you go to WCAG, that's W-C-A-G, WCAG.com, uh, that's going to give you the holistic list of, and good luck with that, with the really, really long list of all the guidelines that, that there are. Um, but I look up and, and learn and keep learning and I have to go back and recheck. But, but you're going to see that the majority, 70% of the things are the same. Uh, there are some differences based on the experience in and of itself, but 70% of the guidelines are the same. Very cool. Well, we are about at time and I want to give uh, people an opportunity to find out where they can reach out to you and, and connect with you further. So uh, here's your opportunity to, to plug. How would you like people to reach out and ask more questions for you? Uh, no, I mean, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Laura Silva, uh, or my, you know, my URL is LA, um, Lau Silva H. Um, and that's my medium, Lau Silva H. And that's uh, my Instagram, Lau Silva H. I'm a LinkedIn, Lau Silva H. Um, uh, yeah, feel free. To just go my name on, it's pretty, it's not that common. So you, you'll definitely find me for some reason. You just but, need to scream, just like Google me. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you can say that you've made it. Uh, I want to shamelessly just go out there and say that I have been following you on LinkedIn and on Instagram now for a couple months. And I have been enlightened as, as I've been following along. Uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning, I just mentioned this briefly, but you've had a handful of posts that have gone viral over the last few months. And one of the things that I absolutely love about Laura, for those who are listening, is that she is not afraid to speak her mind and to help educate the people who are uneducated. And so reading some of the responses to some really ignorant comments on her posts, uh, Laura jumps right in there and we'll, we'll share it how it needs to be shared. And, and I'm not going to go into the details of that right now. But <laughs> 
she does an excellent job responding to the people who need to be responded to. You know, so uh, there's my number one rule for self-care is just not to push information to people that do not want to learn it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's number one rule for self-care. However, you come on me, you gotta come on me corrected because I have <laughs> stamina. Okay. I have generation information behind me. I got data. Uh, nothing comes from the heart. It just comes from this is factual and documented. Um, and a lot of things, you know, are a lot of things is misinformation that is uh, uh, dangerous to to be shared and 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 recreated. Like you know, the fact that people say that undocumented people don't you know are uh, using uh, United States resources. I am undocumented. I am a DACA recipient. I'm a dreamer. So technically, I am undocumented. And let me tell you, I pay lot of taxes, and I don't get social security or section aid or food stamps, or if I lose my job, I don't get unemployment. So things like that are some of the stuff that I think are dangerous for people not to know. Um, and if there's something that I know for a fact, um, I am not afraid of, of correcting you. Now there's, of course, the other extreme of people just being ignorant and, and mean and, and nasty. And I'm just like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste my time and and on NG on you. But if there's people who generally just want to learn or are like honestly misinformed, because part of growing up is unlearning all the things that you thought were correct, um, I I happily will come and and help that. Um, and you know I've gotten really great. Hey, I didn't know. Thank you for teaching me. And I also got him, you know, go to hell or whatever. So it. I, I just know that that the future is for those who can accept their own fault. The future is for those of us who know that they don't know everything. The future is for those who wants to make it a better place. Um, and if I can help, you know, shed light on something, I'll happily do so. Uh, if you disrespect me, you just put in your, shit, your stuff out there for people to, because people, I don't gotta do nothing. People jump in and respond and they start tagging their people's companies and people. It's just, I don't got to do that. That's on you, my friend. If you want to go in and, and destroy your future, that's on you. The internet lives forever. I'm just going to keep saying Black Lives Matter and pay Black women what they're worth. That's on you if you want to show your ass out there. <laughs> So as you can tell, whoever's listening is going to be a, a lot of excitement if you follow her on LinkedIn, if you follow her on Instagram. It's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a place where you can uh, get, a, uh, I don't know, a, a look at something that maybe you've not been exposed to. So I definitely encourage for them to, to check you out, to follow you there. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for your time. This has been, as, well, as much fun as I thought it was going to be. So we've had enough of these conversations. I knew this was going to be a blast. Thank you so much. I love it. No, guys, thank you so much. I thank you for everyone who's listening. Um, thank you for inviting me. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm just happy that there are people who want to make this world a better place. So mm-hmm. let's, it, it takes all of us. It, it takes every single one of us. So please uh, keep listening and register to vote and fill out your census for me. Thanks. That's a wrap on another episode. Thank you for choosing to listen to Design Today. Check out our website at designtoday.com. 
There you'll find all of our past episodes, resources, links to join our Slack community, and even an option to sign up for a career coaching session with me. If this episode has provided any level of value to you, then consider subscribing. There's so much more to come with episodes launching every single Tuesday. If you're already subscribed, then thank you. Consider leaving a rating or a review. Share this episode with a friend or coworker. As always, your support means a ton and it goes a long way. Until next time, this is Dylan Winspear encouraging you to keep pushing and design something new today.